0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing, plus all of our other podcasts over at blisterreview.com. Once again, we are broadcasting this episode from the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, and I would like to formally invite you to come spend some time in our vast amounts of wide open spaces and do some running or hiking or biking or all of the above on our amazing network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Our guest this week is Noah Broadigam, who just won the Speedgoat 50K, which is a big deal for a number of reasons, including that the Speedgoat 50K is just a really tough race that includes nearly 12,000 feet of total climbing, most of it happens above 9,200 feet, and it's also a very rocky, rooty, and steep technical course. And as the race director and Mr. Speedgoat himself, Carl Metzer, likes to say, there is nothing easy about this race. And then when you couple that with the fact that there were some extremely good runners in the field this year, Noah's win is all the more impressive. And pretty much immediately after winning Speedgoat, Noah and his wife Marta headed to Crested Butte. So I was able to sit down with Noah in our blister headquarters to get a very fresh and fun recap of the race and to hear Noah talk about how the race went off this year and what was tweaked to allow it to happen in these times of COVID. And then we also talked about Noah's background and a surprising discovery that he made not too long ago that has him feeling better than ever, clearly performing at a really high level and apparently in need of very little recovery. Seriously, the guy runs and wins Speed Goat on a Saturday and then like a day later is here in CB doing some big bike rides with his wife, Marta, And then I kid you not, right after we wrapped up our podcast conversation in Blister HQ, Noah went and ran up Mount Crested Butte while I just stood there and took some pictures of him, which I will post because I figured we'd all want some actual visual pictures evidence of this. So yes, Noah is clearly feeling quite good right now, and even better than that, he is just a really fun and thoughtful and self-deprecating guy, and I am sure that you are going to enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And so with that, let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Noah. Here we go. Well, Noah... First of all, welcome to Blister Headquarters in Crested Butte. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be here. The skis look great. Yeah, I guess we have just been talking for about an hour about a lot of the skis in this room and skiing in general and, you know, a bunch of other stuff. It's time for the real conversation. That was just all fluff and prelude. Now is when I grill you. Yeah, go for it. So the
1: grilling begins. What's your last name? Last name is Broitigam or Brodigam if you're American. <laughs> this you should not have told me this, uh, yeah. uh, but it, you know.
0: So of course, that's where we have to start. The Americanese pronunciation. I would have gone with Brodigam. That sounds like real slick. Probably guys got like a nice tie on. Never okay. happened. You prefer Brodigam. Brodigam. Yeah. Brodigam. Yeah. We're going accent over. Broadagam. Yeah. This I think speaks well of your roll up your sleeves Vermonter roots. They wouldn't want a Broadagam running around. They would want a Broadagam.
1: No, you don't want soft a's in Vermont. You know, it's like when people say or like Nevada, right? It's like it's Nevada. Which one is it? I always get yelled at. Oh, it's Nevada. It's Nevada. Yeah. My... I do
0: say Nevada and they yell at me. Yeah.
1: My brother skied for UNR in Reno and he had this great story about an NCAA compliance meeting or something with all the sports teams like in the auditorium. And there's the NCAA officer up there talking about rules and stuff. And she said, well, here in Nevada and the entire, you know, Nevadans are, are famous for when somebody says Nevada under their breath, they say Nevada. And so everybody, you know, this room of, you know, hundreds of hundreds of athletes under their breath says Nevada. And it's like overwhelming. You know, the woman just stopped talking. <laughs> I love, uh, yeah, I like that sir. <laughs> well, I think I've
0: maybe kind of buried the lead here. Congratulations you just won speed goat thank you yeah and in in the like hey congratulations you just won speed goat what are you going to do next if you win the super bowl apparently you go to disney world i guess if you win speed goat you just come to blister headquarters
1: that's right yeah yeah you come here you you know fantasize about skiing instead of running and you know ride bikes yeah speed goat was this past saturday mm-hmm yep
0: and you're like walking, you seem you seem well. You you rode Teakali Ridge today. So let me just start here. How are you doing? And was there a recovery period?
1: Well I've only run once. Since the race, but that's more because, you know, focused on biking with my wife and, you know, on on vacation. It's time to take a little little rest time. No, feeling pretty good. Definitely, you know, in the morning going down the stairs hurts a little bit, but that's that's standard. Yeah, we rode 401 Monday, or actually Green Lake Sunday afternoon we got here. Did you go up Baxter? Actually, that's the one run I did is I ran Baxter, but that was Monday afternoon.
0: Steep switchbacks is Baxter.
1: It's not that steep after Speed Goat. <laughs> okay, fair. It's funny.
0: I was recording a conversation yesterday for our Gear 30 podcast, and we were talking about Baxter. And I was saying I was on a ride like a year ago, actually, on a like clapped-out bike that wasn't working that well. And Baxter destroyed me. And I don't know how much of it was the bike or just me being a total wuss. But I'm like afraid of Baxter is where I am in my headspace right now. So hearing that you just ran and won speed goat, and then like less than 48 hours you were doing your like recovery run of
1: Baxter? I, I was shuffling pretty, pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a beautiful trail, you know, something like that. I was, I was thinking, you know, this would be a tough, tough ride up for sure. Um, but you know, you, you can step over stuff more easily than you can ride over stuff sometimes. That's
0: true. Yeah. That's true. Is it weird that I think I now have more respect for you for just shuffling your way up Baxter after running Speedgoat than actually winning Speedgoat? That's weird.
1: No, that's totally fine. Uh, you know, winning Speedgoat was, was one, one day, you know, it could have been a blip. Who knows?
0: Frankly, it is now very weird, right? Like to hear about people being in a running race. Uh, right now, uh, let alone winning them. This wasn't your first time running Speed Goat. I think for a lot of us, it'd be great to hear you just talk a little bit about what the experience was like, and and what did they do for the event to change things up to accommodate these uh, these
1: coronavirus times we're living in. It was kind of a nice break, at least for me and I think a lot of other runners like this spring, not not having races. Yeah. At least for me, I was able to like reconnect to the joy of running. Like why, you know, I wasn't training for anything. I could go hard when I wanted to take a day off when I wanted to, whatever. And that was a nice headspace to be in. You know, Carl Meltzer who puts on Speed Goat He had been pretty adamant. You know, everybody was canceling races. He was like, you know what? I think we're going to be able to do it. You know, after the first time I ran Speedgo two years ago, it was, it was a rough day. And, uh, I was like, you know, I never need to do that race again. It was a great event, really well put on. You know, it plays to my strengths, but I don't know if I need to do that again. And then this year, well, you know, it was the only race in one of the only races there was. And. So it was attracting a lot of elites. I had been running a lot of vert and, you know, I was like, well, okay, sure. I'll try this out. I trusted Carl to put on, you know, a phenomenal event and also a safe event. And he was really, you know, outspoken about, what he was going to do, you know, and all the precautions leading up to it. He he called the the COVID, uh, you know, COVID times the gumboo. Uh, so he was like posting on Facebook and stuff like, we're still going to have a speed go. It might be different, but I'm going to do everything to make it happen. And he communicated really well what he was going to do, especially, you know, leading up to the race. So what that looked like was, you know, one wave start. So you had fewer people bunched together. 30 minute spacing between waves and 20 to 25 people in a wave. And you could only show up 20 minutes before your start, right? So once the other wave was gone, that's when you're allowed into the into the venue. Um and when you came in, you you know, you got heat checked on the forehead. Wait, when you came in came into the venue. Yeah. So like in the parking lot, you walk into the, you know, towards the start area and they check your heat, give you a wristband to say you're okay. I forget what the temperature cutoff was, but you know, it was it was safe. And then, you know, at the race start, when you're in there, wait, you know, warming up, whatever, um, you had to wear a mask. You had to carry a mask with you the whole race. You didn't have to run with it uh on. But at aid stations, you had to put it on. Huh. But the, yeah, the way the waves worked was I think it was all based off ultra sign up ranking, which, you know, whatever you want to say about that. Cool. You know, it, it worked out pretty well from what i saw so there's a 5 30 wave there was a little bit slower than a six o'clock wave faster than the elite wave was at 6 30 and the idea was that we would hopefully catch the earlier waves on the double track climb um up hidden peak so after the single track section so it'd be easier to pass with you know Without being as close, aid stations were really good. That was probably most people's biggest concern: was getting in, especially elites, getting in and out of aid stations because you weren't allowed to touch anything. You had to put on your mask when you're running in, and you know, hold out your bottles for a fill, and then tell volunteers, you know, if you wanted any food. And they would give you make a plate and give it to you. So there's no contact really like just us just holding out bottles saying electrolytes or water and they're just pouring it in, you know, free pour, um, into the bottles. And, you know, Carl always puts on a great event. This one, I feel like was, it was really safe. It was just as good as always. The volunteers were awesome. I, you know, people at aid stations who are volunteering have to put up with the worst shit. You They're know, the we're best all, people in the world. Yeah, you know, because we're all like hectic, trying to get it, trying to get it out of there, but trying to get enough calories or liquid or whatever. And we're, you know, we're like, uh, you know, not even barely looking at them, right? Just like water, 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 water. And they were on on it. I mean, I didn't spend more than a minute at an aid station. They were phenomenal. Yeah.
0: Do we know in terms of entrance participants of the race? Was it the same as years past? Do you have any sense of that?
1: You know, I don't actually know that. He capped it at 250 I think and then for the short course I'm not sure what the cap was so I'm not sure how it lined up I would guess that it was a little bit lower because people were worried about would be worried about racing but certainly on the elite side of things it was as stacked or more stacked than usual tell me a little bit about that talk to tell us a bit about some of the people who showed up for this yeah well there was let's see Hayden Hayden Hawks was probably the number one number one guy you know he got he's Started off his ultra running career at Speed Goat maybe three or four years ago by winning there, you know, pretty soon out of college, racing track and cross country in college. So there's Hayden, then a friend of mine, Anthony Castalis, who just a great guy. I don't train with him that much because he's really, really fast. He's a 213 marathoner and has won, you know, Moab Trail Marathon multiple times. And one of the most beautiful runners I've ever seen. Uh, Yeah, I feel like a, uh, I don't know, something ungainly next to him. And then Jared Hazen from, you know, Flagstaff, Jim Walmsley's training partner and Matt Daniels from Boulder area. I'm not quite sure where he lives. I don't know those two guys that well, but I know they're fast. And then and then there were another, you know, four or five guys from a couple guys from the Bay Area who, you know, had a really good result. Tyler Fox and Tyler Wolf, I think, you know, and then other good runners. So it was and, you know, probably had something to do with their not being A lot of other races, you know, a lot of the big, bigger races, uh, weren't happening. Uh, and this is, it's a good, it's a good training race for, you know, fall races as well. Just for those who
0: maybe aren't familiar with Speed Goat, I'd love to hear you give your description of this race in like a minute or two. Yeah. What's Speed Goat?
1: You know, what people normally look at for speed goat is it's at altitude and it's got, you know, 11 to 12,000 feet of vertical in it. Right. It's also a phenomenal of, you know, Carl puts on a great event like it's just it's well put on. What I think is the hardest part of the course, though, is that it's it's not necessarily technical how you think of trail running being technical, although parts of it are. But it's loose and and rocky and exposed as well as having a lot of vert and (laughs) um yeah, and being at an altitude, yeah. Yeah. But it's a great event and it it takes more than running fast to do well there, you know, it, yeah. Yeah, fun
0: fact. The Speed Goat was the first ultra I ever attended. I appreciated earlier when you asked me this, you're like, oh, did you run it? I was like, hell no, I didn't run it. But I did give my friend Lance, who was running it, I did give him a beer as he was coming up to the the top of the tram. So I did hand a runner a beer that's, that's about all I really did at Speedgo that day. And I cheered real hard for him, but, um, so yeah, that was the first ultra I've been to. Nice. Yeah. I don't think I ever will have the courage to, to try to run up that mountain myself.
1: Well, if you're watching people come up, I'm assuming you, you gave them the beer on the last climb yeah. up to Hidden Peak. Uh, if you're watching people come up that climb, you probably have no desire to do Speedgo yourself. The first time I spectated Speedgo, my friend was racing and he, you know, he clearly wasn't having a day and he came up there, you know, after uh, after the Peruvian climb and, you know, like I was down when the single track ends and you get back on the road and he just lay down at my feet. I was like, (laughs) I know I don't ever want to do, you know, he just lay down and kind of curled up in a ball and it's like, yeah, this looks terrible. (laughs) All right. You've told us
0: about some of the very good runners who were there that day. Now I'm starting to wonder, like, did you just figure out the optimal place to carry your mask
1: through the race? Was that the secret of your success? You know, it might have been because so when I came to the top of Hidden Peak the first time, you know, I had my sunglasses on, my hat, and my mask in my uh, vest pocket or something. I took it out, I put on my mask, and immediately my glasses fogged up. So I'm holding on my bottles and I can't see anything. So I take off my glass, you know, I'm all total shit show. And so for the rest of the race, I just pulled my mask down, kept it. You know, I had like one of the, you know, uh, surgical masks, whatever that, you know, everybody has. You ran? Yeah. So I just ran with it. Cause I don't know. I, you didn't want to pull it out of a vest and yeah. Strap it on. Yeah. And some of the guys were doing buffs, you know, but I yeah. I also didn't want to wear a buff because Speedgoat's a hot race. That sounds super uncomfortable, what you're describing. Not as uncomfortable as racing Speedgoat. Anything to distract you, I guess. So literally
0: you left the mask on through the race and it was kind of just under your chin.
1: Yeah, and then I'd pull it up at aid stations and I am not using that mask anymore. It's a no, little No, that gross. mask yeah. is super gross. Yeah. and It
0: would have just been
1: sopping wet. Yeah, but so is the rest of me. I mean, I didn't notice. Uh, So that could have been the secret, you know, that could have been the secret.
0: I mean, this is a big deal. You ran Speed Goat before. You've run it twice now? Yes. Okay. What year did you run it? How did you place? What did you learn?
1: So I ran it two years ago. So that's 2018. I think I was 11th or 12th. Honestly, I didn't look too closely at the results that year. Uh, It wasn't a great, it wasn't a great day for me. I don't know that I learned anything except for tough, those, those races, you know, you learn a lot about yourself. I don't know that I like had a lot of takeaways about the course. It's just hard. Right. You know, you learn a lot about yourself when you, when you have a bad day and you're like, you know, my mantra that day, right. was like, don't drop out, just make it to the finish line. Cause whatever, it's always better to make it to the finish line. If you're not injured, right. I've dropped out of races because I'm injured. If you're physically okay, you know, gritting it out, you, you learn a lot more about yourself. And so, yeah, I guess I learned that, that I can grit something out when it sucks. You mentioned
0: earlier, you said, I think something like speed goat is a race that kind of suits you and what you like or what you're good at. Talk to me a little bit about that. I always find that actually really interesting because granted, I guess this is more of an outsider question, but some people would be like, I don't know, it's running. Like, don't stop running and then, you know, do that a little bit faster than everybody else. And I guess that's the person that wins, but it's like, turns out, especially in a race like this, it's really fun for me to get to hear people talk about, this feels like my wheelhouse this aspect of a race like this is not in my wheelhouse. So talk to me a little bit about where you feel best, strongest, most comfortable and where you don't.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so this is a podcast. You can't see me if you haven't met me, but I'm a big guy for a runner, right? Uh, I'm not like a little stick figure. My background is in cross country skiing, which is like a strength endurance sport, right? Not straight endurance. You know, it takes it takes a lot of strength. So anything that has, you know, hiking, brutal downhill running, things where you're destroying your legs, I tend to do better just because I have that background of strength. You know, like pure running, right? If you think about road running, you you need very little muscle. You want very little muscle, right? Just specific muscles. Because it's repetitive motion with those specific muscles. So You know, the guys I was competing against at Speedgoat, I would never put myself in the same class as them as a runner, right? Like a pure runner. Um, But when it comes to, well, not just the course, you know, that involves hiking and, and grind. You know, I think my average pace was 10 minutes and 16 seconds per mile or something. You know, it's like not fast. It's partially that and then partially also, you know, mental, I don't know, all those guys who race ultras a lot are mentally tough, right? But in a race like speed goat, it's going it, to at least once during the race, it's going to just suck. Right? Like it's yeah. And so being able to just keep putting one foot in front of the other, that's a cliche. You know, everybody says that it's true, but it, yeah.
0: Plus you've got Metallica going on in the back of your
1: head. Right, right, right. I don't need the earbuds to, to hear, to hear Metallica going.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so we should attribute your win to Metallica playing in your head, and the way you wore your mask, uh
1: huh. Yeah, I definitely would have made fun of you. Yeah, I mean, I would have made fun of me too. Uh, yeah, I think I, maybe I did at some of the aid stations, <laughs> make but fun then, of
0: myself. But then yeah. you would have just like held up number one.
1: Yeah, well, not until the finish line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talk about
0: that day. I mean, was there the specific moment where you were like, wow, okay, I just hit the, this is the dig deep moment of the race, or were there kind of multiple moments like that?
1: Good days are always the easiest, right? So when you're feeling good and you have a good day, it's, it's an easy day. You know, you don't, learn that much from whatever. So yeah, I had to, I had some low, some low moments, but honestly, I was just, I was not expecting to be running where I was, you know, in the, in the group, right. For a number of reasons. Uh, but I haven't been up there for, for a little while. Yeah. I mean, I was feeling pretty, pretty cool about that and, you know, still running with myself and felt, felt good about that. It was when I tried to, you know, I was running with Anthony Castalis, who's just a phenomenal runner. And I was like, he's going to he's going to drop me right we went to the the aid station at the the back side of the course and you've got a long climb back out of there i i don't know the mileage in vert exactly but basically you're going from american fork back to the top of of snowbird and i was i was thinking well if there's any place i can drop anthony who's a great runner it's going to be on this climb cuz i can just grind vert uh so i just started grinding and he was still right behind me, you know, for maybe five miles. And I was just, I was like, oh man, okay. Well, uh, I guess I'll just keep grinding, you know? And so the top of that, you get to the top of Miller Hill and that, you know, I had to start hiking, it gets steeper. And that's where I was feeling the worst, honestly, or yeah. That was one of the places I was feeling the worst. But I look, you know, I looked back and the rubber band had finally broken. You know, Anthony was falling back a little bit. So personally, you know, mentally, I was feeling pretty rough there because uh, you know you've still got a lot to go. But I also knew that um, he was hurting too. And so, if it hadn't been for that input, I probably would have lay down and you know tried to find a beer. But I had that, I had that input, uh, external input, and that helped.
0: Now I want to talk a bit about your training prior to this race. Now you live in Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. So technically you could have been getting on the speed goat course all the time. No?
1: Technically I could have been. Yeah. I don't know how many people go to like go for a run on the speed goat course. Um I people, you know, yeah, definitely people who live there get up there to train. And I would have done that. I was out of town for you know, a couple of weeks before the race, so I I did not train this year on the course at all. At all, no. There's a lot. There are a lot of great running trails in the Wasatch. Yeah, but you weren't
0: racing on those trails. That's that's true. Yeah. I mean, it's real hard for me to criticize you right now. <laughs> given, <laughs> go, no, go for it. it given yeah. given the outcome, <laughs> yeah. apparently you did this exactly the right way. But I would have thought, like, let me get a bit of like every couple of weeks, maybe I want to spend some time effectively, just make sure I'm reminded with this course and
1: kind of mentally ready for this you skipped all this it would have been a very smart thing i took a couple of wrong turns that luck luckily i was still with uh, anthony and hayden when that happened and so i, I was in front which you know I, I was like why am i in front you know i was just i was on the first downhill off a hidden peak and i went the wrong way twice and hayden was like dude this way <laughs> so thank you hayden uh yeah Yeah, that was awesome. After that, I, you know, I I had the course on my watch, but I hadn't been, you know, following it obviously. So after that, I just skipped to the navigation side and made sure not that the course is poorly marked. It's very well marked. I just am an idiot sometimes. Yeah. Wow.
0: What I really want to do though is kind of get to a bit of the backstory here. You
1: injured yourself like in January? I cracked a couple of ribs in my back on the left side and I wish I, you know, I'd I was skiing a ton and stuff, and I wish I could say I was hucking a 30-foot cliff or something, but uh, I ran into a bush on my bike on the ride home from work. Uh, It was dark. I'd forgotten my light. Went over the handlebars, hit the curb. Yeah. Funny
0: story. Messing with ribs, not funny, right? Yeah. Funny
1: funny story, yeah. A lot of pain? Yeah, yeah. I cracked ribs before, so I knew what I was in for, but it just sucks, right? Breathing hurts. Um, Anything to do, anything with impact hurts. Yeah, I was lying around for a little while quite grumpy. Yeah.
0: Now this, and this is kind of getting to my point. It's just real, this is, this is bad news for you that we're about to discuss. So what did you do? Your training was a bit different than normal.
1: Well, at least for a month or so there it was. Um, And it's really embarrassing to admit, but you know, I, I really needed my fix, right? Like if you're an endurance athlete, you kind of understand that. And I couldn't do anything with impact, even, you know, stationary biking hurt because I was like bent over. But I found out after about a week and a half or so of recovery, I could get on the Stairmaster at the gym. It didn't hurt, you know, if I, as long as I didn't get my heart rate too high, uh, cause there's no impact. And so I just crushed that Stairmaster for like two or three maybe three weeks before I could start, you know, then I was like running uphill on the treadmill and then biking was okay. And then, you know, running was okay. Road running primarily because trail running downhill still hurt. So yeah, Stairmaster, not a training regimen I would ever wish upon anybody, but maybe effective for, um, you know, Verde races, uh, but don't do it. I mean, you'd never won speed goat before,
0: so <laughs> mostly I just think you probably need to get a stairmaster like
1: installed in your house. Oh God, no, uh, yeah, no, um, yeah, no. They're they're pretty terrible, but but effective. Yeah, definitely effective. Uh, you know, it's similar. Like I back under ski mostly in the winter. I I, ru- I run a little bit to keep the legs moving, but you know, it's a similar thing to back under to skinning. You know. It's Sarah master. It's just not as you don't have a fun powder on at the end of it.
0: right. In that Uh, way, it's
1: way worse,
0: way worse. I don't know what else, or do you attribute how you trained this year for this race? Was it about a different training preparation or training method, or did you just feel really good this day? Or are you just generally feel like you're, you know, getting better kind of getting more comfortable in, in these types of events? What, do, how would you assess?
1: You know, actually there's, there's a big factor that, uh, that we hadn't talked about. And I found, so I found out last fall that I was hilariously anemic and probably had been for, for years. So until, you know, I'm 31 years old, I've been running for a while. I was running for Solomon for, Five years um, before this year, you know, had done pretty well and whatever, and then I just started getting slower in the past couple of years, and I was like, maybe I'm just getting older and getting slower. And then I got married and got on my wife's health insurance, which is way better than mine was, and was like, I'm gonna go get a blood test, and my, you know, my hematocrit, hemoglobin, ferritin was just, you know, through the floor. So I started supplementing uh, liquid iron, and you know, I'm close to normal again. And honestly. Since doing that, I've felt, I mean, I felt like I'm, you know, in my early 20s again. Wow. Like serious difference. Yeah. Serious difference. And so, you know, that affects everything, right? But training wise, like, yeah, you need red blood cells to not just to perform, but to recover. And so when I started running this spring again, I could just, yeah, I mean, I wasn't really training because I didn't have any races on the calendar, signed up for speed pretty late. But, I, you know, I was just enjoying myself and, and doing, you know, time trials up local mountains and stuff, and being like, man, okay, yeah, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. The thing that really kicked me into shape, I think, was I signed up for Jamil's, you know, Aravapas. They, they put on a virtual vert week. And I thought, yeah, I'll support them because they don't have races and something fun to do. So it was basically a week of, you know, doing as much vert as you could. That might have been in May or something, April, May. And I thought I wasn't going to take it that seriously, but I did. Yeah, racked up a lot of vert and a lot of miles that week. Um, And then that just kind of fed into, you know, feeling good and running a lot, you know, since then.
0: So the anemia, you don't think this is something you lived with, like, kind of all your life? You think this developed, like, after you started running for Solomon?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know, right? Because I never had a – actually, no, I had a – when I was ski racing – when I was 18 years old, that was the last time I had a blood workup and I was normal then. So yeah. And I, I, you know, if I trace it back, I can definitely see like, okay, yeah, those years, you know, I really wasn't feeling good. It probably had something to do with that. Now I'm that annoying guy who like thinks everybody's anemic when they're not feeling good. I'm like, you know, they're like, oh, I had a really bad day. I couldn't climb or whatever. I'm like, oh, have you checked your iron? Interesting. <laughs> yeah. You're like. Could be any
0: number of things, right? Yeah. But yeah. Do we think there is a genetic? Was this a genetic
1: issue? Was this something going on with your diet? Any ideas? Yeah. I you know, I don't know genetically. Um diet wise, though, I eat very little meat and almost no red meat. Um, and have been eating less and less over you know, over the years. And, you know, eat all the other stuff you're supposed to, right? If you're not eating meat, like spinach and beans and, you know, all the good stuff. But I also drink a ton of coffee. So when I found out as an and was looking into it, you know, there are certain things that stop or slow down iron absorption, you know, if you have them close together. So coffee is a big one. So is tea. So now I like time my coffee, right? I'll like, you know, if I'm eating an iron rich meal or taking, you know, liquid iron, you either drink coffee like a couple hours before you do that or a couple hours after, right? Try to separate that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think honestly that it was just like a matter of having a really active lifestyle and not absorbing, uh, iron well.
0: Well, that's really interesting, man. And I, I mean, hopefully if there's a takeaway, like for those of us who maybe don't, uh, go see their doctors regularly or get blood work done like ever, it is just maybe a good reminder, like, Hey, check how you're doing. Plus, I guess the good news of this story is you maybe don't have to go get a Stairmaster. Oh yeah. So <laughs> yeah. you kind of are off the hook,
1: that's but that's, upside.
0: but that's really cool. And I'm psyched to hear that. Like there was an issue. It seems to have been addressed. You're feeling really good.
1: Yeah. And you know, what's been interesting after, you know, that was like last October or something. And I did one race in November, uh, local race in Salt Lake. And after I started supplementing. And I felt, I I was like, Oh my God, I feel so good. But I didn't have miles in the legs. It was a 50 K and you know, after 20 miles, you know, I was like just crushing it. And I was like, yeah, all right. And then, you know, after 20 miles, the wheels fell off and you know, ran it in, jogged it in. But this year, what's been interesting is just like, I don't quite know where the new limits are. And so I had no idea going into speedgoat, right? Like where I would stack up. I'm like, okay, I know these guys are really, really fast. But I haven't been I haven't raced, you know, really since addressing this. So I, I didn't know. I knew I felt good and had been feeling good in training, but I didn't know where that would stack stack me up. Um so that was that was fun.
0: Wow, that's awesome, man. That's really cool. Maybe this is also a bit of an explanation of why if I if my numbers are right, I think you shaved about an hour off your time this year from two years ago? Yep. Yep. I think that, that explains it. But yeah, I mean, it sounds like you are, I guess without, I don't, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like more than doing something very different in terms of training. It was like addressing an issue you had, a blood issue.
1: Certainly that was the, that was the biggest thing, you know, I've like through that whole time, I was still, I I was still running a bunch. I was, you know, skiing, whatever, um, doing everything, uh, this spring I've definitely been able to do, more maybe because of that, you know, training wise, I've, I'm, rec- I'm just much more recovered all the time. So I can, I can do more training, but I think the root is, yeah. Addressing that issue.
0: We're going to go back here and then we're going to jump forward, but I, I do want to talk a bit more about your background. You know, that's always a fun one here. It's so, right. we talked to some runners who it's like, yeah, like, I don't know, seven years old, I started running. I liked it. I've still run other people come to the sport much later. In your case, you grew up in Vermont and what sports were you into as a kid?
1: Yeah. So I grew up, you know, backwoods, Vermont, uh, kind of like central north of the state, uh, near Camel Sump, if anybody's familiar with it. Uh, and I grew up on a little cross-country ski area center that my parents started, you know, it's like bed and breakfast ski center in the basement. And so I grew up cross-country skiing, I didn't really like it. I don't know how many little kids really like cross-country skiing. You know, it's hard, <laughs> uh, but I grew up doing that. And I, so I've ski raced all the way through college, but my, I, I liked other sports. So I, you know, I played soccer and stuff, but I was most serious about lacrosse for a while uh, through high school. And then I was planning on playing in college, but then I kind of was getting better at skiing and enjoying it more. So I ended up drop, kind of dropping lacrosse. Um, and I'm glad I did, you know, I loved cross-country skiing college was, was a blast. And then, you know, through that time, from the time I was maybe 18, I was starting to do some running races. My brother, um, who's a, he's a great marathon runner. He kind of got me into it. And so I, you know, I do like a marathon in the summer, half marathons here or there. And Yeah, just enjoyed it. You know, it's fun because there's there's no pressure for me. I was a ski racer, right? So running was just like, okay, cool. Like I'm a fit person because I'm a skier. Running's fun, I guess. And then when I moved to I moved to Truckee, right? Truckee, California, right after college. I was training for the California international marathon. Cause my brother was running that and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. It's going to be cool. But I was living in Truckee and so I was running on trails, you know, the road running around Truckee is not that great or, you know, it's beautiful, but uh trail running is great. So I was running on trails to train for a road marathon, ended up having to drop out of the road marathon because my IT band blew up or whatever. Um, and then the next year I was like, maybe I should just do some trail races. I did. And they were more fun and I found that, you know, going long was, you know, at like a moderate pace was pretty fun for me and I was okay at it. First of all, that
0: Truckee Road Marathon, that was going to be the first marathon you ever ran.
1: The first marathon I ran was San Francisco Marathon when I was 18. I was out visiting my brother in Nevada and we went and ran that together. And that was cool, you know, I was, you know, I think I ran uh, 256 for that. And okay,
0: first of all, Nice time. Uh, I mean, they, yeah. and, but secondly, like you are a fit cross country skier who is about to go into college or you are is that where you were or, or finishing up a first year?
1: Yeah. No, it was my summer before going to college. And, um, I think, and my brother was, he was running, but also ski racing at a uh, university of Nevada, Reno. But this is not exactly off the couch. I mean, you're I mean, in, you're no, in good no. shape. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, skiers are the fittest people. You know, cross-country skiers are the fittest people in the world. It is just... it. it wait wait is, a second. I can't tell if you're serious or not. Is oh, this a
0: claim you're dropping? This is a claim I'm okay. dropping.
1: Yeah, actually, scientifically, the highest lung capacity in athletes are cross-country skiers and rowers. I mean, they're fit. I mean, skiing has transitioned to being more of a power sport in the last 10 years. It takes a lot of upper body strength, more than it used to with... Ski technology and and wax and stuff like that, but still, yeah, incredibly fit people. Yeah, so basically, off a couch, you know, a cross a good cross country skier can should do all right. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Although the chafage in the armpit region when you're cross country skier is pretty brutal. Running, <laughs> you know, take, you got a lot of you got big lats and triceps, and so I God, I remember the end of uh, that first marathon was pretty brutal. That's funny.
0: By the way, so you went to Middlebury, right? And
1: raced there. And apparently we're there when some of our friends around here. Uh so like Lonnie Bruns was around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lonnie was there. Uh we just had a great, super fun team. Yeah. I mean it was a great experience. I didn't have like the best college career, not what I thought I was gonna have. And that that's okay. You know, Middlebury is a great place to be at school and not skiing super fast. So yeah, you know, but I, I love the sport and through college I was coaching too. And that's, I kind of transitioned into coaching after college as well, although I don't do much of it anymore. Um, yeah.
0: It's so funny that like, I keep slowly meeting more people in like the cross country. Well, this is a whole conversation we've had, whether it's XC skiing or Nordic skiing. What do you, which do you prefer?
1: I mean, I say cross-country skiing, uh, this is a total tangent, but it's so funny now that, you know, any people ask you, oh, you're a skate skier, right? Cause, uh-huh. and you know, like, well, n- I mean, yes, but no, I'm a cross-country skier. Cause you know, when you rate, when you compete, you do both. Uh, skate and classic. So yeah, I think cross country, Nordic, somebody once I, I, we went, I went into the weeds about Nordic versus cross country with somebody once. And honestly, I don't, it doesn't matter. You don't care? Yeah. I I care, care not. We've actually had this conversation
0: on this podcast previously. (laughs) So, um, you know, I just, I like to call people by, you know, how they like things called. And, uh, anyway, that's funny though. I, I, I actually had not heard anybody ever before say like, Cross country skiers are the most fit, like endurance athletes.
1: Yes, I will stand
0: by that claim. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Runners. He just put a big target on his back for the next, you know, the next race. They might not be the best runners We're all the just time. Just talking what well then what are we talking about? We just talking about like lung capacity, just power. Capacity. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well what okay. yeah, yeah and just like all-around athlete. I mean, you could make a case for like tennis players or something too, but just all-around athletes, you know, take like a lot of strength, a lot of- Okay, now wait a minute. If we're going to the (laughs)
0: all-around athlete game, I think NBA basketball players, straight athleticism,
1: that is mind-boggling to me. Agreed. 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 Counter, you need a genetic kind of like mutation to be an nba basketball player i mean with a few exceptions yeah. right of phenomenal you know phenomenal point guards i would say if we're talking like all around a normal person could okay. could do these soccer tennis or cross-country skiing yeah I like for all this. around all i right. mean if you're talking all around or lacrosse players i mean if you're talking all around in terms of like hand-eye coordination and that sort of thing too then you got to talk about soccer or lacrosse or tennis too i think yeah yeah,
0: <laughs> I like this controversial <laughs> conversation, Feel free to weigh in, in the comments section uh, of this episode. Don't tear me apart. I mean, tennis, like that's such a specific and remarkable skill, right? But all right, you've, you've, you've given me food for thought here. and I <laughs> like your qualification of like, well, you still have to be like a normal person or it sort of doesn't <laughs> count. So, I haven't really thought about these things this way before. So, um, you know, good on you for the mind expansion. I think where we were in the story is you found yourself in Truckee. You're running on trails anyway. Blow up in a road marathon because, of course, you haven't been training on an actual road. I really feel like maybe I should be your coach. And then you could just (laughs) ask me. You're like, hey, I'm thinking about doing a road marathon. Should I only run on trails? I'd say no. No. (laughs) and uh you know you're like hey i live next to like the speed goat course at snowbird (laughs) should i maybe ever go to it so i don't get lost and Uh, then have to rely on hayden to like Get me back on course. So feel free to reach out. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, perfect. Next time. Yeah. Um, but talk to me a little bit then about like this evolution. Like you start getting on, you start entering trail races and are you doing well right away at these? What are, what's the, what's the learning curve and like kind of the results curve look like for you?
1: Yeah, um, no, it went well you know, right away. I mean, I had fun, I was having fun. Right. And I've always, you know, when I've been competing or training or whatever, I kind of run on joy. Um, if I'm not having fun, I'm not going to, I'm not doing very well. And so I was having fun and I was doing well, it was local races. You know, I did a 50, the first one actually was a 50 K down in near Chico, which is pretty flat, but beautiful. The, and that went well. I think I, there were some good runners there. I might have been third or fourth or something. And then I did a local one in North Tahoe. And then another one down in the Bay. I loved running in the Bay Area because, you know, it was like breathing peanut butter. You could like <laughs> chew the oxygen coming from Tahoe. That was great. And, uh, and yeah, so it went it went well from the start. And then I moved to Utah and was running on trails more when I was there. Although I still actually when I first moved to Utah I still did a year of road I ran my PR for whatever reason. You know, it was like a well, actually I know what it was. I was trying to beat my brother in road marathoning. Competition with him has driven a lot of my uh, athletic life. And so how that happened is All right, drop the mic. Awesome. Right. Boom beat that. and defeated then defeated you. And then he did. And he <laughs> ran about 10 minutes, almost 10 minutes faster. And at that point I was like, I better just run on trails. Like, uh, yeah. You'd better adopt a stance of
0: like, well, I used to run on roads, but philosophically I'm opposed to that for all kinds of different reasons. Right. But most, yeah. Cause you're like, shit, I don't think this is gonna go well for me. Go. How how much older is your brother?
1: He's four years older. Four years older. Yeah, yeah. And basically, yeah, I figured I could not run a. I think he ran a two twenty three, and I was I was like, yeah, that that might be beyond me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. When the going gets tough, find a different sport. sports. <laughs> Smart. If I had been your coach at the time, this is exactly how I would have advised you. So you're doing good on this one. All right. Thanks. So you're in Utah, you are running more trail races. Are you at this point now doing quite a bit of backcountry skiing? I guess I'm curious, like what other sports over the last, say what, I don't know, five to seven years that you still kind of actively participate in regularly? We've We've got backcountry skiing is one of them. We've talked a little bit about mountain biking, but I'm not sure how much mountain biking you're actually doing these days.
1: Yeah. I mean, backcountry skiing is, uh, I mean, maybe my first love in sport, in terms of sports um, these days. And, you know, I still run during the winter, maybe 30 to 50 miles, but 30, you know, more like, yeah, 20 to 40 um, a week uh, in the winter. And then mostly backcountry skiing. And then mountain biking, I, I was really into mountain biking when I first moved out west. And I, you know, I kept, I continued to do it. But after like two years after moving to Utah, I got a sponsorship uh, with Solomon on their U.S. running team. And so I got like a little more focused on that. I was still skiing a bunch in the winter, but I was pretty focused on running in, you know, spring to fall. Maybe mountain biking, definitely like Moab trips and stuff, but it wasn't my focus. Although this year I've been biking more we upgraded our bikes and it's been, it's been fun. And my wife is doing, Marta is doing a lot more of that. So it's a great activity together. Yeah. yeah.
0: I think I've given you such a hard time through this conversation that <laughs> the part where it's like, and then Solomon is like, you should be on our running team. We may kind of, uh, some people might be like, how did this dude end up on that for, you know, 90 seconds take the humility cap off for a second and talk a little bit about like, I mean, that's, that's a big deal, right? Like Solomon is yet to reach out to me <laughs> <coughs> to be on their running team. I'm still waiting for that phone call. So yeah. talk a little bit about, you know, how that kind of came to be.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was maybe a bit of a lucky thing. Uh, There's a local race that really well-known the, the Wasatch steeplechase, which is like a well-known really cool local race. And I had just blown up at another road marathon, like three weeks before. And friend said, Hey, do you should do the steeplechase. And just, I did. And it went really well. You know, I was like, yeah, I am better at this than road running. <laughs> um, at the time the Solomon athlete rep and, you know, did a lot of the footwear stuff was at that race. And he was also a cross-country skier. We had cross paths. Josh Korn. And he was like, Hey dude, I'm going to give you some free stuff. And you can like be an ambassador for this year. We do our team re-up, you know, at the end of the year and we can talk see how this year goes. And I was like, Whoa, sweet. You know, Solomon, that's really cool. I can never afford Solomon shoes. And so that was, that was awesome. And then the next, you know, I did well that year, mostly local races. And so they signed me onto the U S team the next year. And it was great. You know, I had a lot of fun running for them. And I ran for them for five years and totally understandably, you know, I had not been going that fast or racing a ton the last couple of years. And so I did not get re-upped to them for 2020, but totally, totally understandable on, on their side. Yeah. So this is my first year, you know, running a lot unsponsored and, you know, uh, whatever, that's another rabbit hole. Yeah. So I feel like, again, coming off a speed goat
0: victory just a couple days ago. I mean, the, seriously, the big question is like,
1: where can you take all this? Right? It's a, it's a, it's a good question. It's one I've been thinking about. I hadn't really thought about other races this year, which I've started thinking about now. Like, hey, maybe I should try to, yeah, sign up for something different and see how that goes. So I have been poking around, looking at different options for the next couple months. But really, like, as long as I can keep the joy in what I'm doing, you know, you know, I'm not going out to knock out a training session, you know, yeah, you, you do need to do that every once in a while, right? Just, just put your head down and and grind if you want to be good. For me, it's really important to keep the joy in the sport. Just keep having fun with it, which, which is easy with a good running community and a good, you know, place to train and to run. The community is huge. So yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I'm hoping to race again this year. Um, Might just pick one other big one to do. Yeah.
0: I'd be curious to ask about, again, I guess the wheelhouse question. I mean, we've been talking about marathons and 50Ks. What are you thinking about in terms of mileage these days? Are you curious about hundreds and 100 milers, 100Ks? Are you interested in going a bit shorter? Are you, you know, do you feel like you've found your niche?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've, gone 50 miles and I really enjoyed that I feel like typically the longer it is the better but that's coming from somebody who's only run a 50 mile race right so you know the race I am looking at this year potentially is could maybe run rabbit run which is a 100 miler and you know I have reservations about that one thing that I've always found in running is like I still like going fast you know and the more you have to slow down the harder, you know, the, or the longer it gets, the more you have to slow down. And so I, I find that like, you know, maybe a little off-putting, but I don't know. I'd love, I'd love to try it. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. man. I feel like
0: you are about to go do this whole, I don't know, year or two or three or more of just kind of exploring and sort of figuring out now that you're feeling good, you got to, This gonna <laughs> there's like literally a whole period of discovery, it feels like.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it feel, it's really cool all of a sudden to be like, okay, wait, I can still do this, you know, at a high level, which I, you know, a year ago, I didn't really feel that way. I thought, you know, I'm never gonna stop running because I love it, but I didn't feel like I could continue competing at a high level. And so it's kind of really neat to have that door reopened. But, you know, I, there are a lot of other things in my life as well that, you know, that take up time and energy and stuff. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, Hey, this has been fun.
0: It's really cool having you here. And it uh, sounds like you're going to get to stick around CB for a few more days
1: and just be on vacation. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate, you know, the welcome. I know there are a lot of invaders. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, it's just such a great place to be it's coming from, you know, growing up in Vermont and then move, being in Utah, you know, it's, Pretty dry and you know uh, brown in Utah in the summer and hot. So being here with water and you know green trees and mountains is is beautiful. Yeah. So we, you know, well, first of all,
0: I often you know at the start of these podcasts just invite people. We got a lot of we got a lot of open space here, right, and pretty solid trail networks. So it's like you know come. It's like we can do social distancing quite well around here. But one of the things I've found myself Saying recently at the start of these off the couch podcasts is just like it's really green, and I, I I mean I've I've honestly just been kind of taken aback all over again. It's just like you walk outside and it's just like it's just
1: green. Yeah. Yeah, I have trouble staying on the staying on the trail yeah. here, you know, just looking around. And I used to say this, uh, you know, when I went back home to Vermont to visit my family from Utah or whatever, um like, man, the chlorophyll is hurting my eyeballs. You know, it's so green. And you know, here a little bit
0: too, for sure. Yeah. Well, hey man, this has been really fun. And uh I seriously, I I cannot wait to see what you'd kind of do next, and and more than anything, I'm just psyched that you are feeling well, and like kind of seems like running is just the, like you've said, like the joy of it is kind of been dialed up, and which makes sense when you kind of feel stronger than you felt for some years. So that all sounds real good. Congratulations on Speak Up. Cool. Speaking Thanks of. a lot. I really appreciate it. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Noah for the conversation. And if you are enjoying these off-the-couch episodes, we would very much appreciate it if you would take like 30 seconds to leave us a nice little rating or review in Apple Podcasts. I also want to say thanks to Taylor Ahern and Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Crested Butte, Colorado, we hope that you are doing well. And until next time, please be safe Please take good care of yourself and everybody else. Please keep moving forward and maybe check your iron levels. And we will talk to you again next week.